it's really important to build your processes with agility, flexibility, and scalability in mind. So don't think about what you're doing right now. Think about what you want to do and make sure that you build your processes with that in mind, right? Um, and I think manual versus automated process, right? The more you can automate, the better because automation automatically brings in financial control. So you've set yourself up for that growth, but you also have financial controls built in. Um, and I think simplifying, right? Like I think sometimes when you're a startup and you start with, you know, this process and then you're like, oh, wait, now we're going to do this and I got to add and you end up with these layers. So I think is having that future sort of thought leadership and, and really just thinking about where you want to go and sort of implementing processes that are simple, but that will be efficient and that will get you to that future state. And I think also really democratizing data in a single source of truth. So I think that's another issue that comes with startups sometimes is that you have data sort of all over the place in different systems and you don't... And and the average you know department in an organization who needs, you know let's say, to look at customer behavior, you have product marketing or you have marketing or you have product management or user experience, they don't know how to get that data. So I think setting up sort of a single source of truth where that data can be democratized is important too. Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and I'm so excited that you can join us today. On this episode, joining us is Pinder Sikhan. She is the Senior Director of Finance on Unbounce, the leading landing page platform that helps you convert more of your visitors into leads, sales, and customers. You know, as a marketer, I'm biased, but I'm a huge fan and user of Unbounce. In fact, I'm actually revamping the podcast landing page using their easy drag and drop builder. So I'm super excited to show you guys the new improved home once it's ready. Um, but this is not about us. It's about Pinder. So based on what I heard and also her stellar LinkedIn recommendations, Pinder is both a dynamic and confident finance leader that is an innovative developer of people coupled with her strong financial acumen and strategic business thinking. And I love it when there's like a well-rounded finance leader today. So I'm super excited to have you on the show today, Pinder. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Danny. It's so great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we chatted a little bit before the interview and you mentioned this is like your first podcast interview, which is super exciting. It is. Yeah. So excited. That's awesome. And I'm really bad at introducing people. So maybe if you don't mind um, letting us know how you got started in finance, you know, what's your background and what got you, you know, being a finance leader? Sure. I'm actually, it's funny because I originally wanted to be an architect. Oh, so I actually took drafting classes in high school. Um, and then I did my math um, in grade 11. I did my math early in summer school. So I thought, oh, accounting. Okay. Sounds boring. Might be easy. So let's do it. So I took this class and I had this teacher who um, was amazing. And he really, 
you know, what a, he took what I expected to be a boring subject and made it interesting and fun. Um, so I loved it. And then I ended up taking another accounting class with him in grade 12 and realized that I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. There was a ton of job opportunities in the field and you could really go into any industry that you wanted to go into um, and, and not do just accounting. You could do finance, you could do, you know, just any sort of business type of a role. So I really liked the transferability of it and the fact that there could be opportunities sort of all over um, in that field. I love that. And I think that really reflects kind of your background as well, because I've seen you've worked in many different industries before you joined tech. I have. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's, you know, it's, it's just because you're in finance doesn't mean you have to go into a specific industry. So it's great because it gives you so much experience really in, in so many different things. Yeah, definitely. What do you think um, you wish you knew before becoming a finance leader before you jumped into this whole role? I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, it would be helpful to have kind of had, um, I, I, I didn't, you know, outside of my teacher in high school, I didn't have a lot of mentoring when I was early in my career. So, you know, as a junior accountant, or, you know, as you're, you know, starting out as an AP clerk or an AR clerk, I found back then when I was starting out that there wasn't a lot of mentoring, coaching, you just kind of got thrown into these roles. And, and a lot of times from my experience, um, you didn't really get tons of training, you were just kind of here you go. Um, and I think the world has changed a lot now. But um, you know, there were a lot of times back then when I got discouraged, or I thought, did I pick the right career? Because, and there were not a lot of, you know, really senior female leaders that you could look up to at that point. Most of my managers and, you know, in my early roles were male. And, you know, mentoring just wasn't a part of culture. So, you know, I wish I, and, and so again, that really, at some points made me want to leave, leave the industry. And now it's so different. And it's so changed. And there's so much regardless of what level you're in, there's really so much mentoring and coaching and support out there. Um, so I think some, in some of those moments, it would have been helpful to kind of look ahead and be able to see that. Yeah, definitely. The mentorship is so important. And I feel like especially for women, right? Absolutely. When you're um, in an industry, it's always nice to be able to see that there is diversity and that, you know, the company that you're working for does care about these things. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about your role at Unbounce. Um, so what was your experience like working at Unbounce during, you know, this whole pandemic? Um, how did the company adapt? And was there any sacrifices you had to make during this time? I have to say, considering everything going on, it, it's been a great experience. Um, you know, from day one, Unbounce has really followed the philosophy that when you look after your people and your employees, that your employees will take care of your customers. And together, that creates business growth and value. So, you know, that philosophy has never really been more true than over the past six months. I found that Unbounce leadership and just Unbounce as a whole really leaned into into the values of empathy and being real, really ramped up internal communications and stayed connected virtually, but also being mindful of boundaries between work life and home life with people working from home. I feel that Unbounce adapted so quickly to remote work. I mean, we were, you know, we thought there'd be some growing pains or challenges, but like we were literally remote so quickly. Um, you know, the office closed on a Friday and Monday we were, we were up and running. So that was really, really helpful and great to see. Um, and you know, we really, we, we moved to a weekly forecasting, um, especially at the beginning of COVID, not as much now, but just to really be able to proactively identify if there were any levers that we could pull if we started to see significant negative impacts to the business. I can't really say there were sacrifices that had to be made, um, which we're very fortunate that that wasn't the case. There were challenges, but, but I don't, I didn't see any sacrifices that we had to make. 
That's awesome. And I feel like you guys are already a very innovative company. So it was probably more of like a agile shift or pivot. <laughs> it was very, yeah. Which for me, being new in the tech industry was like, okay, if I was at one of my traditional industries that I was in before, I don't know this, that this would have happened so quickly and without um, you know, a lot of change management, right? Yeah, definitely. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but the follow-up question I had to that was, what are the challenges that you faced at Unbounce? Like, do you mind describing it? I think it was really um, around, you know, the employee connectedness. Um, you know, I think uh, making sure employees felt supported, connected, engaged. You know, they're they're now in their home environment having to work. It's hard to separate, you know, your work life from your personal life. So I think that was probably the biggest challenge that we faced was making sure that people were engaged, that they were supported, they were connected. It was a lot of emotions that people were going through, right? Just with dealing with the whole pandemic. So just being cognizant of that and, and not only supporting people in their work, but supporting them, you know, for, for their own mental and physical well-being mm -hmm. um, was important too. So. Yeah, that says a lot about like the culture of the company and, you know, what you stand for. Mm hmm Absolutely. Yeah, I think like, you know, having a culture for the company, it really does help with um, attracting the right talent and retaining them. You know, that's central for a lot of innovative companies. Absolutely. Just curious also, like on the other side, based on the name of the podcast, what would you say that the spend culture of Unbounce is like? So the attitudes, beliefs around spending? Um, I think it has evolved a lot over the past few years. Um, I think in the past, it was a little bit unrestricted. You know, managers had discretion and freedom to really spend on tools and initiatives that were specific to their roles or teams as they saw fit. So it might have been a little bit siloed, you know, because if a department needed something, they would go get it. But there might have been another department that had a similar software tool. And I'm, I'm talking more around like the software and tools that we were, we were purchasing. So, you know, there, and there were purchasing controls in place, but they were limited. So, um, you know, it led us to not necessarily overspending per se, but just really having to manage a large number of software and tools that overlapped and it was difficult to really manage. So, you know, we've since implemented some more purchase controls. We've got approval workflows, purchase requisitions, purchase orders. And that's really to not only control spending, but to manage our software and tools and to really ensure a proactive approach to spend culture. So it's more of a collaborative culture as opposed to, you know, everybody off doing their own thing. I love that. I love how you use the words proactive because I feel like that's kind of the shift that a lot of companies are starting to realize. Exactly. Instead of, you know, chasing invoices and, you know, giving rules to the employees, it's about like, hey, you know, the rules are here, but we trust you to make the decision. But we trust you. Yeah. There has to be, you have to have a balance between control and autonomy, right? And empowerment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, I love that. And um, what are your current priorities and strategic goals in this period of time now that we're kind of, you know, settled into remote work and maybe even going back into the office soon? So I, I'm going to answer this a little bit around just the finance team's current priorities and strategic goals. And I'll touch a little bit on unbalances as well, like overarching. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, our in the finance department, our current priorities and strategic goals are really to automate our manual processes and make sure that we are out agile and scalable and can really support the business with insight and analytics and reporting. We just implemented an ERP system. So we're working on really optimizing processes, setting up analytics dashboards. We have, you know, all of these reports available via self-serve, which is, which is great. 
And we're also in the process of selecting and implementing some other software tools that will really assist in automating much of our FP&A process. So that's kind of from the finance department perspective, overarching. I mean, you know, our, our current priority at Unbounce is really to accelerate our strategy. And so there's a lot of investment going on into, you know, our people and our tools and our software and into our product so that we can really accelerate that strategy and drive growth. Yeah, definitely. And with um, the spend that you you are allocating right now, are there um, departments or are there projects where you had to cut back on um, versus maybe doubling down on during this time? Yeah, I mean, we, we had to cut back in areas for sure. I don't think it was ever really specific to departments. I mean, obviously, we had savings on things like travel or internal events or things like that. So we were able to really manage um, our spend with those savings. So we honestly didn't really have to, and we were very fortunate, we didn't really have to go in and say, you know, so-and-so department, we're going to have to cut this or we're going to have to cut that. Um, you know, we delayed hiring a little bit at the beginning. and uh, But other than that, there weren't really big cuts that were happening across any departments. Oh, that's so good. Because I feel like that's also, it reduces the morale when you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it makes people feel supported knowing that, you know, they're not going to be slashing things here and there. And, you know, I've been in situations where you come in and you don't know if you're going home that day early or if you're, you know, or if you're coming back the next day. So it's, it can be a tough, a very tough situation and a very tough work environment. Yeah, definitely. And I want to go into that a little bit more. Um, so prior to Unbounce, you've worked at quite a few industries. Um, I've seen yep. on LinkedIn, you've worked in manufacturing, hospitality, and insurance, which is, you know, three very different industries. Um, what are the differences between that and tech? Like, what are the takeaways? So I think, you know, tech is much more flexible, right? Um, you know, the traditional industries have a bit more of a rigid culture. I feel like, you know, managers are given a little bit more autonomy and empowerment um, in a tech company. And because of the agility that you get at a tech company, like you can really impact change. Whereas you look at, you know, some of the more traditional industries and there's a bit more like of the bureaucracy or the red tape that you have to go through to actually get things changed. Um, I feel like it's it, it can be a bit more top down from some of these traditional industries. Whereas in tech, I feel like it's just, you know, a bit more, of a hybrid approach and just a lot more agile. I also think, you know, in, in tech companies, they invest, they do invest a lot of dollars into culture and employee engagement than some of the traditional industries. Mm-hmm, for sure. Was that why you joined tech as well? Definitely. Yeah. Like I wanted to be in an environment that was fast moving, that was agile, that I like change and some people don't. I mean, change management is a difficult thing, right? Um, but I wanted to be somewhere where you know, you could, you could change and you could experiment and you could actually impact change. That's important to me. Like, I want to be able to go in and say, I did something here and I, you know, made something better. I love that being able to show impact and being able to push for that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What advice do you have for finance leaders who are hoping to, you know, maybe switch roles or even to join a tech company? What do you think are some of the things that they need to consider? I think it's being curious and experimenting and being courageous. Um, really, for me, is is what I think people need in in the tech industry. I think, I mean, experimentation is important. I think that really drives innovation, right? I think you know, if you fail, it's okay. You know, you learn from it. And then I think being courageous, like you know, 
making your convictions heard, expressing your point of view, I think is, is important as well. And then being curious, you know, ask the questions, learn. Learning is, 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 is how you innovate, right? If you don't understand something or you don't know something, talk to people, do your own research, learn things. So I think curious, courageous, um, and experimenting are, are think really important. Oh, I love that. You know, coming from like a tech company myself, um, one of our mottos is that every learning is not, um, sorry, every failure is a learning and exactly. It's also an outcome. So it's like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. So, um, let's dig into the, you know, more traditional companies a little bit. Do you have any, um, stories you have to share surrounding, you know, spend policies within those companies in contrast to what you are doing right now at Unbounce? So I think for me, the spend, um, you know, I think there was a lot more, like I said before, it was just not very autonomous. There was a much more rigorous approval workflow. And I am all for financial controls and approvals. But I think, you know, if somebody is, let's say, you know, in terms of hiring, if you're hiring somebody, I don't know that you necessarily have to have, you know, five approvals up to the CEO of the company to hire an admin role. Like, I just think that's unnecessary. So I found that there was, it was a bit too rigorous um, in, you know, around spend culture. So I think, you know, managers weren't given enough sort of power or there wasn't enough trust put in that. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it was trust. I think it was just, it was the controls were sort of over-exaggerated, I think, in some cases. I think controls are important, but I think, you know, if you have somebody who is at a managing director level, they should be. They should have the ability to approve spend, you know, versus just a, a somebody at a manager or supervisor level, right? Like they didn't really have those kinds of layers. Um, so really, anybody at any level had to go through the same rigorous approval. So there's got to be some sort of. Um, there's got to be layers to it, and there's got to be, you know, that autonomy given to people to be able to make those decisions. I mean, you've, you've given them a budget, you've given them a growth target. You have to also allow them to bring in resources to, to hit those targets. Right. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine like as an employee, I'd be so frustrated waiting for like the six layers before I get whatever I need. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it took honestly nine months. Are you kidding me? You know, because, well, because when you have that layer, right, you have to go through 10 layers of approvals or something that you shouldn't have to go through. It also takes, because you're dealing with very, very senior, very high level people that are in, within a global organization, like you, it's going to take you a while. I'm sure they have other priorities and things that are more important. So it takes a long time to get that, to go through that chain of approval. Um, so you don't, it, it's not quick. You'll get it eventually, but it's not quick. <laughs> wow. Nine months. I can't imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, speaking of like challenges and, you know, being slow, um, but also like trying to move fast while you're making the right decisions. What do you think are the biggest challenges that a tech finance leader will probably have to face in the next two to three years? Well, I think this, this you know, unprecedented world, all of the world events that are going on right now, not just the pandemic, I think are, you know, there's, there's a few challenges that come out of that. I think one is really anticipating your customer the changing behaviors of your customer, right? I mean, you know, there's not enough data or trends that we can really predict what customer behavior might be and what the impacts of that would be on our business as accurately as we could predict in the past, right? So I think that's one challenge. I think the attraction and retention of employees, I think that's always 
been a challenge, but I think that's even more of a challenge now. Um, you know, tech talent's difficult to find, difficult to re- retain, especially at senior levels, right? So um, I think organizations really have to invest heavily in that culture and employee engagement. And I think also investing in DNI initiatives, right? Like you, you know, the more diverse your talent pool is, the more you can fill those technical roles, right? So I think that's important as well. And I think supporting remote work is going to be a very big challenge for most organizations. You know, a lot of businesses are moving to full or part-time or flexible remote work environments, but, you know, that's not something that a lot of companies have done in the past. So I think just being able to maintain productivity, making sure that employees are engaged and connected when you have distributed teams and really leveraging technology, I think will be important. And the other one I think is really what is the actual impact going to be on future earnings for organizations. I think you know, right now there's the pandemic, there's the U.S. elections coming up, there's protests all over, there's, you know, Black Lives Matters movement, there's, you know, strained relations between many global superpowers. There's, these are all things that are really happening right now all at once. And so I think it's really hard to say how long this will last. What could those potential impacts be to, the, to businesses? So I think that will be challenging as well. Yeah, definitely. I love how you kind of covered it across the board when it comes to like internal, micro and macro. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things to consider. I feel like a really well-rounded finance leader, they're not just wary of what's going on within the organization, but also across department, but also like within the economy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So follow-up question to that. What skills do you think, you know, the future-driven finance leader needs to cultivate? So I think being adaptable. So you have to be strong technically, obviously, where it's a very technical, you know, um, finance is technical. But I think having the adaptability, being able to really evolve, change, innovate, innovate. And I think, you know, moving from a, a more traditional role to one of influencing and impacting change, I think is important. Um, I think these kinds of skills really help transformation of kind of a more traditional finance function to a more value-added business function that really does influence decision-making in an organization. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, um, so I have another question about, you know, startups. And um, we talked a little bit about this earlier on in our conversation on balancing that kind of control with agility. So for the companies that haven't found that nice balance yet, um, what are some tips that you have? Well, I think it's really important to build your processes with agility, flexibility, and scalability in mind. So don't think about what you're doing right now. Think about what you want to do and make sure that you build your processes with that in mind, right? Um, And I think manual versus automated process, right? The more you can automate, the better because automation automatically brings in financial control. So you've set yourself up for that growth, but you also have financial controls built in. Um, and I think simplifying, right? Like I think sometimes when you're a startup and you start with, you know, this process and then you're like, oh, wait, now we're going to do this and now you got to add and you end up with these layers. So I think is having that future sort of thought leadership and, and really just thinking about where you want to go and sort of implementing processes that are simple, but that will be efficient and that will get you to that future state. And I think also really democratizing data in a single source of truth. So I think that's another issue that comes with startups sometimes is that you have data sort of all over the place in different systems and you don't, and and the average, you know, department in an organization who needs, you know, let's say to look at customer behavior, you have product marketing or you have marketing or you have product management or user experience. They don't know how to get that data. So I think setting up sort of 
a single source of truth where that data can be democratized is important too. Oh my gosh, Pinder, I think you're just saying like some of the challenges we've been facing, you know, the democratizing <laughs> data part, that's something we've struggled with for a bit too. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what, we're going through that struggle right now, right? Because we went from, you know, we're in year 11. So we've gone from that startup to, to, you know, substantial growth. So when you have data that's layered and layered and layered, and you have, um, you know, multiple systems where you have data and you don't know where to go to get it, we're sort of in the process of getting to that single source of truth and to really allowing all people across the organization to be able to pull that data and get the data that they need quickly without having to go to, you know, a data analyst or a data scientist or something. Yeah, totally. All those years of dirty data. <laughs> Trying to clean that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, try to clean that up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, the pain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we did speak a little bit about, you know, change management earlier on. Um, you mentioned, you know, this has been something a little bit harder in traditional companies. So for the listeners that are in those industries, um, what are some tips and tricks for you um, when it comes to actually implementing these changes and making sure you're getting buy-in from everybody? I think it's, I think communication is really important, right? And transparency, like, and setting goals. Like I think initially you have to set goals that you can measure against, right? Um, and then I think communication, I mean, the, the more you communicate to the people that you need, you know, to buy into the change, the better. And I think also being transparent with people, I think from the beginning, I think a lot of, a lot of why there's resistance to change is because people don't understand it. So just really being clear on why you're doing this, what it will mean for the specific person and or people departments, um, and and really just being clear on how you're going to get there and on what the impacts are. I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. The communication part. I feel like sometimes when people communicate, they assume that the other person speaks their language and then right. it gets caught. <laughs> yeah. So you, ha it's true. And it's, it's, you have to explain it in layman's terms. Like you're, if you are the person who's trying to um, you know, lead that change management. You've also been in the project or in, you know, the weeds for, for a while. So you understand what's happening. So it's, you have to make sure that you're communicating it in a way that, that everybody across the earth, this might be the first time somebody's heard of this, right? So you have to make sure that they understand it. So you, you know, that communication is very, very important. Definitely. Those are some really great tips. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. So this will be um, my last question for you today, just because I think we are nearing the end. So if you had a do-over um, in your career, what would you do differently? So I had to think about this a little bit. Um, so I think, I think one of the things that I would do over differently is, I don't know what you want to call it, maybe self-promotion. Um, I think, you know, throughout my career, I have had you know, promotion development opportunities that I should have pursued, but I didn't. Or, you know, in some cases I've had, you know, senior people approach me and say, hey, we think you'd be great for this. And I've been like, oh, I don't think I could do that. You know, so I think it's really trusting in my abilities, even if others actually did trust in my abilities and approached me on it. I think, I don't know if it's just a me thing or, if, you know, is it imposter syndrome? Is it, you know, I don't know. I, I find though, um, you know, through my experience, I noticed that females tend to do this a little bit more mm -hmm. where they yeah. judge themselves, right? So if you have a, a male who has 50% of the skills and a female who has 75% of the skills, the male's going to say, I can do it. And the female's going to be like, I don't know. So, you know, I think that would be where I would go back and do over some of those things. Cause I think I missed out on some opportunities that I 
that I should have followed up with. That really speaks to me, Pinder, like that kind of like hit my heart right there because I feel the same way. I think like growing up, we always have these big dreams, but then we enter the workforce and there's always a little voice sometimes saying like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. Right. And you start doubting yourself. And I think sometimes we're our worst enemies, right? Yeah. Like you, our perception of who we are and somebody else's perception, you have, might have somebody going, wow, they're great. They're fantastic. This person's amazing. And you're inside going, I'm going to get fired because I think I did something wrong. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, it's the self-perception as well, right? Which is why I think feedback's important. Sometimes you don't get that feedback from others that, so, it, you know, that would help with your, you know, with your own, oh, I can do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like even speaking to you, I didn't think that that would actually be something that you doubted yourself about. You know, you seem very confident within this interview and you've accomplished a lot of things. So mm-hmm. yeah, oh, but absolutely. And I, and I have to say that I still have those moments. I think, I think I always will. Hopefully I've gotten better at sort of, you know, convincing myself that I can do things, um, but, you know, and making sure I take those opportunities. But there's, you know, you always have that voice in your head that's kind of going, mm, you know. Yeah. Well, definitely. Thank you so much for the vulnerability on that. I know sometimes it's not easy to admit and it's not easy to talk about it, but I feel like we should normalize these conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. And we want to make sure for, for people that are emerging as, as leaders that, you know, they know that others have felt this, this way and it's okay to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's such a lovely way to end this interview. Thank you so much, Pinder, um, for your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're welcome. I enjoyed talking to you as well. Thank you so much. No worries. And for the people that want to connect with you, what is the best way to do that? Um, just LinkedIn. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and I'll be happy to, to chat. Awesome. Thank you, Pinder. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com, so that's www.procurify.com, and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. Thank you.